everyone, and welcome to episode four of the Bombercast for 2022. I'm your co-host this evening, The Grizz. I'm here uh, with my co-host, Bonsa34. Bonsa, it's always great to speak to you, but uh, probably not in the circumstances that left us yesterday. No, no, Grizz, you're absolutely right, mate. We... Uh... We certainly did not turn up the way that anyone thought. I mean, Rowan did get stuck into us last week for being a little bit uh, pessimistic. He thought that maybe we were a little cynical in some of our predictions. But unfortunately, uh. unfortunately, <laughs> I think uh, Saturday showed maybe we were a little bit optimistic in our predictions for the season. I'm not... Well, I did say to Rowan that uh, I preferred the term realistic. And uh, I feel like we'll both have indicated yesterday. Uh, and we won't be around the bush to get into it. We'll get into to yesterday now. Bonds, uh, not what anyone was sort of expecting in terms of, well, I, I think most people have not been surprised at the loss, but it was more the, the mode and the means of, of how it happened. Like, I'm looking at the stats here. We lost clearances 51 to 27, you know, center clearances 20 to 8. Contested possession, we lost by 42. That's unbelievable. We somehow had more turnovers, you know, less disposal efficiency, like, um, uh, sorry, less effective disposals, you know, just an out and out beating. Yeah, and it's funny you're talking about the overall stats because, you know, you look at it and you go, well, we had more touches than them and, and our disposal efficiency was 81% compared to theirs at 74. So you look at those two numbers in pure isolation and you go, Geez, not, not so bad, but it was just, it was a disaster. There's no way to sugarcoat what happened yesterday. And I'm going to look at a positive, and it's a bit of a strange positive for mine, but Truck did not try and hide from it in the press conference for me. I'm not sure if you've seen his press conference, Grizz, but he basically said, you know, just weren't good enough. This is not the expectation that we have as a football side. The midfield, our leaders in the midfield didn't do enough. And as a result, we got belted. So so I look at that and go, well, that's a coach that's not under any disillusion. He, he knows exactly what went wrong. He's stated that it's something they're going to have to improve. Now, whether or not they do is, is obviously the million-dollar question. But there was no, I don't think he minced his words. There were no weasel words. There was no soft talk. So, for, so whilst yesterday was disaster, I actually thought, post-game was probably the highlight of, of the day for Essendon fans. Yeah, it was probably the most fight anyone in the Essendon top showed all day, to be honest, was <laughs> truck at the press conference. Uh, yeah, look, it was... Um, I think he, he said, other than Nick Martin, he said Nick Martin played well. We'll get to Nick Martin in a moment, we'll, and we will, because he had an outstanding game, but we'll probably go the game in general first. And he said, you know, he didn't have a lot of friends. And that's probably about as, as stern as I've heard a coach clip basically... 21 players out of 22 um, for an effort. And I think when you look at yesterday, the areas to work on are pretty clear. We were just absolutely belted around the contest. And I was reading some people saying, oh, that's what happens when you have a small midfield. It had nothing to do with the size. It had nothing to do with structures. It, well, it probably did have a lot to do with structures. We're leaving a lot of space out the front of stoppages, but just the general lack of intensity and physicality was completely missing. You touched on the disposals. We had, I think Merritt had 30 odd touches. And I think over 70% of them, yeah, yeah, 39, 39. I think, I think 70% of them came in the back half of the ground, which just tells you, you know, the, the disposal count, it, it really means bugger all. I think we had two of the three biggest disposal wins on the ground. Um, a lot of it was sort of cheap sidewards, handballs and kicks, but we were just absolutely belted in the contest. Um, our defenders were given very little chance 1v1. And on the flip side, you know, our forwards were 
basically starred for the majority of the day and some sort of, you know, really workmanlike goals. But I just, I can imagine the emphasis this week going into the Brisbane game will be all about physicality and effort and intensity around the ground, which was just missing from the first quarter, to be honest. Yeah, look, I think you're right about the physicality side of things. And, and yeah, I, I'm again, I'm similar to you. I don't think that size matters as much as some people have you believe. I think we've still got, you know, Jai Caldwell's still a very solid bloke in there. I mean, Langford obviously went down, so that didn't help with that little point of difference. But, you know, so we do still have some decent size in there. The thing that frustrated me yesterday the most, for the first quarter and a half, and you mentioned structures, and it was the it was the easiest thing in the world because everybody could see it except for the, the, the bloke starting in the midfield. Every time there was a ball up, our midfielders ran forward of the contest. But what, what's the point in front running if you don't have the hands of the ball? What's the point in front running when you're six goals down? And that was the problem. It, it wasn't, it, they didn't beat us up and barrel through us. The reality was there was nobody standing defensive side of the contest. I think Eve said on the board at one stage there that, you know, they had um, Parrish playing the sweeper role and Parrish kept getting sucked in. And he's right, Parrish did get sucked in a couple of times, but it wasn't isolated to just Parrish. There was multiple times where the ball would sort of go to an Essendon player and the other two midfielders would take off. They'd say, all right, see you later, we've got the ball. And there'd be a fumble or there'd be a blocked hand pass or something and the ball would be turned over. And Geelong, they, they didn't have men forward of the ball, but they had men outside the contest. So they were able to handball it laterally and then able to stream forward. So it looks like they were front running, but they, they weren't. They were hedging their bets. And unfortunately for us, it paid off. So, yeah, I look at that structure in the midfield yesterday and go... What were they thinking? Because, yeah, everybody else could see. And the thing is, the thing is, momentum is a huge thing in, in football. And there, early in that game, there was probably three or four instances where our blokes had the ball, but they fumbled or they didn't quite get it clear. And you look back at that and go, geez, you know, if we'd been able to get that clean clearance instead of Geelong, we'd kicked a couple of goals and, and they, yeah, momentum's a wonderful thing. But, yeah, it was, it was very disappointing, I, I thought, um, from our midfield yesterday. Yeah, a little bit. You could tell that Geelong structures, and they had a bit of a, a slow preseason. But when you're as experienced as Geelong, the thing a lot of people, I know I'm jumping around a little bit. A lot of people sort of make jokes about Geelong's age, and but with that age comes really valuable experience. And that experience showed in two ways yesterday. One was they know what round one football looks like. They know that it's not a tap you can turn on and off, and they were there ready to play. That's veteran know-how of okay it's business time and then the other side of it was their structures that they've been playing with for five six ten years now under chris scott their structures just stood up and they played to them and in the midfield you you made the example of a really good one where we just had guys streaming forward and our sweeper was getting sucked in you could note you notice that the Geelong midfielders would all attack the footy in clumps and then once they won the football they were spread our guys were spreading as soon as one of our guys got close to the footy. They were just sort of gambling. It was roulette, basically. If we won it, we're out the front. If we lost it, our well. And, you know, it's just, it snowballed the attention to detail. That Jeremy Cameron goal in the first quarter, we just strolled through a stoppage and Jane Laverde and James Hill were just staring at each other. Both of them ball watching. One of them needed to be in the goal square as a sweeper. One of them needed to be standing Cameron. Both of them did neither. And it just, it looked amateur hour. You know, I, I look at the team I, and I think you could probably say Shield had a good game. I thought he was easily the most sort of effectual of our midfielders in the moment where the game was there to be won. 
you could argue, you know, Merritt had a better second half, but the game was done by second half. So oh, I'm not sort of counting too much in that. I thought Jay, uh, Jake Kelly did reasonably well in his first game for the club. I thought he won a lot of his one-on-one battles. I thought, obviously, Nick Martin was outstanding and Archie Perkins had a really good first three quarters before he sort of tied out of it, I think. And other than that, like there really wasn't a lot of you know, <laughs> strong performers across the park. The other one I'm going to throw in there is the bloke that came on as the, um, the sub, and that's, that's Cutler. Oh, good point. I, yep. I thought Cutler was really good when he came on. He was he, he showed attack. I mean, there was, there's been a lot of jokes, and to be honest, I'm, I'm, I'm probably over the jokes about him being a little bit soft and, and scared of the contest on out on the board. I mean, he, he, you know, he, he was a bit adverse to contact. I think you could say maybe early last year, but he's really shown since then that that's, that's probably a joke that's run its race. I, I think now that, yeah, he's prepared to go when it's his term and he's prepared to put the, his head over the ball. And the other thing is um, for meters gained. So we talk about, you know, Merritt had 39 touches and well, Merritt, at 435 metres gained. Tom Cutler had 24 touches. So, you know, that's almost a third less. It's not quite a third less, but still relatively close. Um, and had 538 metres gained. So, you know, he had, he had, he had over 100 metres more gained than Zach Merritt. Um, and, and, uh, the other one that sort of disappointed me yesterday in the midfield, when the going got tough really early, that was Darcy Parrish. I was pretty disappointed. I mean, he ended up with 34 touches. And I'll be honest, I have no idea how he got to 34 touches. I think I, I think he had 15 touches in the last quarter. So he really did take a, a page out of old uh, junk, junk time Jack and padded his stats late. But he's okay. Last year was an outstanding year, and it's the same as Zach Merritt. You know, I look at those two boys and go, they're going to be the leaders of our midfield. And and you're right, Dylan Shield had a crack yesterday. And I don't think Dylan Shields' role is ever going to be to be the bloke standing defensive side because he, we need his burst from the contest. Darcy and, and Zach don't have that same sort of bursts. So when I look at yesterday and go, okay, so our midfield didn't have that, didn't have that anyone defensive side. I'm looking at those two going, one of you two should have done that. You're the experienced players. There's no real excuses anymore. So so they both you know, ended up leading the touches. And I, I think Zach's game is probably a little bit better than maybe some are giving him credit for. I, I agree that he did stat pad a little bit, but I mean, it's hard for him when he's got nothing to kick to and he didn't have a lot to kick to yesterday at the spread of the contest. But I still was disappointed that those two in particular didn't look at how Geelong were dominating and didn't actually seemingly do anything to, to stem that tide. Andy McGrath's also the other guy that normally would play that sweeper role really well. And I don't know. <laughs> Again, he's another guy that had 29 disposals. You just look at all stats and you go, wow, that's yeah, a good game. But, you know, even he had just shy of 500 metres gained on 30 disposals, which is less than sort of 20 a disposal, which you, know, you want to be more than that, to be honest. But I'm not critical of Merritt's game so much as I just think the 39 disposals is misleading as to the value he had on the day. I don't think that, yeah, that, was, one of yeah. the, that was one of the least effective or at least effectual 39 disposals I've ever seen Zach have. Um, the other one I just want to point out is Jai Caldwell, who had 23 and two goals, a few tackles, some good marks. He cracked in at the start as well. But it was just, you know, we matched them for five minute periods at a time and then just fell into a hole. And then, you know, John would pump another four goals on us and just get, anyway, we've harped on the negative. I do want to talk about Nick Martin, who, you know, bless his socks, outstanding debut. Just, you know, 10 marks, 27 disposals, five goals, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, provided there's no shenanigans, a rising star nomination to boot. On a, on a darkish day, he had, 
one of the best debuts I can probably think of, to be honest. Yeah, well, he absolutely did have one of the best debuts I've ever seen in an Essendon jumper. Um, I suppose that the question is, does he back it up? Now, I think I said earlier that he was going to be yeah, Michael Barlow and win the Brownlow. So, at the moment, <laughs> he, certainly, um, he certainly managed to maintain what my expectations of him were. Um, and, and I'll continue to make that claim until it looks like he's going to drop off and then just point out that I was joking and it wasn't actually a serious claim. Because if he goes on to win the Brownlow, then, I'll, then that early season call by me is going to look absolutely bloody genius. You put any money on it? I oh, no, I do, I do have money on him to win the Rising Star. I I did jump on that one. He was he was he was paying forty five dollars earlier um in the piece. So I I thought, well, he's looked all That'll right. That'll shorten up. Yeah, let's. Well, he's into twelve. Well, he was into twelve dollars yesterday after the game because I had a quick look to go. Oh, should I put? Should I have another crack? And I thought, nah, I'll, I'll leave it at me for at the take the forty five and run. But yeah, no, he, he was exceptional. He just has that time and space that just seems to only come to the absolute elite. And, you know, I'm not saying he's elite yet. It's one game, let's not get carried away. But yeah, the, the time and space he had yesterday in a game where we were constantly under the pump was just unbelievable. And I think he still gets the rising star. Rochelle certainly today put in a strong case to take it off him. And look, if, if Rochelle gets it, then then so be it, because I think he was very good for Adelaide as well in a, in a thrilling loss to Fremantle. Um, obviously, as an Eston fan, I would much rather to see, see Nick get it. And it. It would be much deserved if he did. And a staggering football story, considering that, you know, at the start of the year, he wasn't actually on our, on our list. The thing that struck me uh, thinking about it today was his role would have been one of the hardest roles to play if the team was playing well, as this sort of half forward pushing up to the wing, you know, helping with serves out and bolting forward to to play that role in a team that's getting pumped by ten plus goals by half time. That's a, that's a really hard gig, and the fact he did that and did it so well is quite a testament to him. Um, one thing I did want to pump some brakes on. Just reading the board as a mod was people, you know, drastic culture changes, dropping sort of six or five guys, you know, questions about, you know, Nick Cox and whether we're wasting him on a wing, which is a completely different discussion. I've long thought that playing him on the wing is how we get him into the team short term. Long term, I see him as a sort of a, a, a key forward. But I, I suppose the question I wanted to ask you, Bons, was, was where to from here? Do it like you can't just write the game off completely and go, all right, Mulligan, we'll go again next week. But how much of this loss do you just sort of shake your head at and go, that was so singularly startling that, you know, we just sort of need to take the lumps and move on to next week? I just, just want to ask a quick question. Are you suggesting that Essendon fans are fickle and, and turn very quickly? Because uh, I, I, I'm, somebody I'm might have said the podcast. I can't remember who, but somebody else did suggest that on the podcast earlier in this season, I think. Yeah, look, I'm saying that um, <laughs> there are some very highly emotive individuals following yesterday's loss, and they're individuals that are understandably upset. But yes, um, yesterday, I think, was a shock to the expectations of many. Yeah, look, in a serious answer to your question, I don't think you throw the baby out of the bathwater yesterday. Yesterday was terrible. As I said earlier, there's no way to sugarcoat it. It was pretty, pretty poor. But the reality is it was only round one. You know, there's still 21 games to go. Whether or not it's a sign of things to come, I I have no idea. I mean, for all we know, Geelong are going to go on and, and... dominate the season and, and be up there in the, the top of the top of the ladder again. And I think after what I saw yesterday, yesterday, I think as, as poor as we were, I think Geelong were just exceptionally good at times. So it's not a 
panic stations yet. I don't think we, we completely um, have to make wholesale you know, six, seven changes. And, and I think somebody else said on the board earlier, the reality is we don't have the, the cattle um, necessarily ready in the VFL to do that. But at the same time, you, you can't, you certainly can't excuse yesterday and just go, okay, round one, move on. That, Something has to be said behind closed doors. Now, I don't think there's going to be a huge change this week. I'm still confused as to where Will Stalin is. Is, is he injured? I think he was. I, I think he picked up a knock against St Kilda. I don't think it was a it was a big one. I think you've caught me on the hop there. I know Jones is to be determined, um, which is always a worry when you're talking about ankles and we're a week and a half since the injury and they still haven't been able to fully diagnose it. But um, I'm not sure what's going. I think Stringer comes in next week, which is good. We need the, the person up forward. But I think I said to someone after the game yesterday, you could add Lloyd, Coleman, Lucas, Hurd and Leon Baker up forward yesterday. But it wasn't going to make a difference. Our issues were all up the field, particularly in the midfield. And one thing I would say from yesterday is, you know, if you had a get-out-of-jail-free card or you had a, you had a, a mulligan, just about everyone on the, the best 22 yesterday burnt that mulligan. There's no second chance. That you, you dish out something like that again, there, there has to be changes because that's... Like, I was expecting us to make finals. You and I have said this on multiple occasions. Like Finals isn't necessarily expectations, but that cannot be the expectation either. No, you, you can't turn up and get bowled by 10 goals every week. So, so I, don't, I don't think there's going to be wholesale changes. Look, I've been a big fan of Braden Ham in the past and a strong defender of him. But I just don't see how, based on the preseason, the last couple of games late last year and, and yesterday, so it's not just based on yesterday, it's, it's a little bit of exposed form. I'm starting to lose the desire to defend him because he tries, but he's just not good enough. And some of the, there are players that at the end just aren't good enough. You know, Mac Welfie, I think, is probably got a small pass because he was the only one inside 50 that actually seemed to, to put pressure on. But even then, it wasn't a great effort, so it's tough. But the other thing is the blokes that needed to stand up more in the merits, the parishes, you know, Shield a little bit more maybe, even though he was decent, was still pretty average. You know, the McGraths, um, even Heppel. Ridley had a really quiet game. Ridley had a well. really quiet you game. Know, Nick Hind managed to get involved a little bit, but again, not quite as, as much as what we'd probably hope in terms of his, his run and dash. So those sort of guys, you're not dropping those guys to the VFL. Like, that, there's just no way, there's no universe in which a Zach Merritt, a Darcy Parrish, a Nick Hind, a Jordan Ridley goes back and plays VFL this year. There's nobody in the VFL who is a better player than them. So so when we start talking about wholesale changes, unfortunately, it is going to be the likes, you know. So I think Braden Ham comes out. I, I'd literally probably drop Ham for Stringer, although, you know, Langford's, Langford's definitely going to be out. So I think Langford for Stringer is probably the, the obvious switch there. Ben Hobbs might come in. I think he did well today in the VFL. So that's another one that, that may come in. But, but I mean, Ham comes... If Snelling's fit, I, I'd say Ham comes out for him. Oh, and this is and I know it's uh, it's still very early in, but oh, I would love Michael Hurley to be fit at some point. Just because yesterday, I mean, Peter Wright kicked two goals, but he was still pretty average. Yesterday, the key position players at both ends just just struggled, and they yeah. just it just it clearly looked like they needed an experienced head, and and unfortunately. Uh, that normally falls to, in the back line, for example, Heppel or Ridley, and, and yesterday they weren't there. In the forward line last year, that fell to Kyle Hooker, who's obviously now retired. So we need an experienced key position player. 
and I can't think of too many on the list other than Michael Hurley. And, and who knows how far away he is or if he's ever going to actually get back. I mean, there is a lot of, a lot of hope that he'll be back, but, but who knows? It's, it's, it's a pretty debilitating injury that which he's trying to get back from. I've got no expectations of Michael Hurley. Um, so even if he does come back, expecting him to sort of to spearhead that forward line as the experienced guy, considering he hasn't played for what it'd be two, almost two years now, I think would be a slightly unreasonable expectation. Like he could definitely play forward and be that experienced head for the rest of the forwards, but I don't think he's he's probably going to spear the thing. I, I will I will bat for the key forwards yesterday a little bit, and I said this during the game day thread. The they were given no chance early. Like it was Peter Wright was getting triple and double teamed every time the ball was kicked to him. And that was because our ball movement was so slow. It was just sort of, just sort of being lobbed on his head. Later on, he did have a couple of opportunities on the lead, which uh, we, we need to have a conversation about Peter Wright at some point where he's getting to Charlie Dixon category of dropping marks inexplicably that he should be taking he gets two hands to but for the most part like the <laughs> it would have been hard to play as a forward i i, I would think that yeah ham I, i'm I, I i might be devin smith's biggest hater but are we sure he's best 22 at the moment like he couldn't have been based on yesterday he had a nice coming goal in the first but that's about his the pressure was missing the pace is missing he just you know I, i'm not sure you know, maybe that's a, when Tipper gets back, that's a, a question you ask. Because like I said, there's probably no one in the BFL at the moment that's you know screaming to come take his spot, which is you know, probably a bigger question in and of itself. I, I think there are probably three or four changes you could make comfortably. But what I don't want to happen is that the guys that pay their price, pay the price at selection table, be guys like you know Nick Cox or you know Joe Caldwell or you know, those sorts of young, Kane Ball and if it comes to that, who are the easy kills in this lineup when, like you said, a lot of the guys that need a lift need to be the senior guys. And I know you say you can't drop them, but if they, they perform like they did on the weekend, you can drop them. I'm sorry. Like, I don't care. Maybe not merit because he had a better second half. But if Andrew McGrath, for example, does that again for a couple of weeks, is he undroppable? I'm not, I'm not so sure. I still stand in the category that someone like Andrew McGrath is undroppable because the whole idea for me of bringing blokes up from the VFL and stuff is is, is if they're going to improve your side. And I, there's no one in the VFL that improves the side more than Andrew McGrath. That, you know, if, if he's not get working in the midfield, you move him to the back line. You, you don't drop someone. I always think at a, at a football club, and, and there'll probably be a lot of people that will disagree with me, but I think there's always that core 10 that you just you don't drop. They, there's just no way, reason, rhyme or reason why you'd ever drop him. And I think someone like Andrew McGrath is in that. And I'll just touch on Hurley. When, when I say that I think we need him back, I'm not asking him to spearhead the, the forward line or spearhead the defence, but he just gives an experienced head. And, and, and so if, if yesterday, you know, he'd said he'd, got to, he'd been out there, I just feel like they would have been a little bit more calm. Like our defenders just started to panic. Everyone started to panic. And so I, that's where I think someone like Michael Hurley fits in. But just going back to Dev Smith, yeah, I was. it's tough because I didn't think he was terrible yesterday because I actually thought his pressure was all right. But it's not. It, it's still not good enough. You're right. There is definitely going to be issues with him later in this year if he doesn't step up. But for now, yeah, he may still be best 20. I'd keep him in front of Ham. If you're going to start dropping blokes, and the thing is, as I said, I'm not advocating wholesale changes. So at the moment, I'm probably looking at it going, yeah, Langford's out. 
Ham's out and you bring in, you know, Stringer and Snelling. Baldwin's the other one. He he was okay at times yesterday, but I still think Aaron Francis or even Nick Bryan are better options at this stage. Because, I mean, the bloke, I don't think he's actually managed to play a full proper VFL game at all since he's been at the Eston Football Club. He's had bits and pieces here and there. So, yeah, Baldwin's a tough one because there is something there that I really do like. But at this stage, is that enough? I don't, I don't know. It's It's hard. He needs a month, two months in the BFL, just being the man out of full forward. And he needs just reps under his belt, which, yeah. And when I say reps, I mean just minutes in a game playing as your primary key forward in a team that can actually get in the ball on a consistent basis, which is in the BFL. A BFL team will be decent this year by the looks of it. And so I'm thinking his set, by the by, his set shot goal kicking. Oh, okay. Um, there's some, there's some, the Josh Kennedy stutter steps there that yeah, make me a bit yeah. nervous. He actually just didn't seem to have a routine, which is something I'm sure the coach is on too. So I won't harp on that. I wouldn't be surprised, to your point, if the changes are limited to Stringer and Snelling if he's fit. Langford goes out and they find someone to bring in the Snelling, which would probably be him. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a largely unchanged team and, and truck just challenges them to uh, you know sort of step up and... You know, do a bit better, try a bit harder, be a bit more physical. Because if we do that to Brisbane, if we give Brisbane the front of the stoppage, if we give guys like, you know, Dane Zorko, Lockie Neal, you know, human cluggage, the ability to walk out the front of stoppages, it's going to be triple figures. It, it's going to be brutal. And so we, I'm hoping that we'll pick it up for next week. Yeah, well, that, you, you're right, and and obviously, if uh, if they have if the Brisbane midfield get on top earlier, then then Joe Danaher will be absolutely licking his lips. But I will just say the other the other one they're going to have to try and find room for is obviously Cutler because he was the emergency uh, medical sub. So they're going to have they're going to have to drop somebody else to probably to find him, and and that's probably where Nick Cox does get dropped, I think, because um, now now Schnitzing. Schnitz and Groove, and I think, and I hope I've pronounced that right, but he'll he'll be listening keenly, and I'm still refusing to concede that Nick Cox has regressed because I still think that's an absurd opinion. But um, he definitely does look like he needs to spend time in the VFL, probably the same way that Baldwin does, in that he just needs time to go to a, a level that he can dominate and feel comfortable at, and then translate that to the AFL. So so if I was that, I would probably be looking at, at someone like that, or even, even make Deb Smith a medical emergency. You could do worse than having a bloke experienced like Dev Smith coming on halfway through the third quarter with fresh legs. I think if he had fresh legs, I, I think he's a completely different player. But I wanted to ask you this question. I'm not sure how much time we have left, but I wanted to ask you this question about Nick Cox, and it's a it's a topical one. I don't want to ask whether he's regressed because he's a second year player in a team that's got belted by 11 goals. So you know, reg- I think regression is a bit of a a bit of a big step to be taking there. But do you think they're using him right? Like, do you, do you think playing him on a... I think, I said this earlier, that I think they're playing him on a wing to try and get him in the team, to give him some exposure to senior football, considering last year there was no BFL, basically, for the majority of the year. But is that hindering his development as what we all believe probably long-term is going to be a key position player? I've said it on the board that I think he's a, a Nick Revolt Esque, and when I say esque, I don't mean in talent, I mean in role as that guy that has midfield running power, can stretch his, you know, his, his key defender out by stretch running up and down the field and, you know, using his height and his marking ability to create all sorts of issues as a key forward. But 
I, I don't know, maybe end up a key defender. But do you think, you know, playing him as a wing is sort of curbing his development? And do you think it might be better for him to be, you know, for the team, the club to pick an end, playing there and developing there from now, basically? Yeah, well, I've also said before that I don't think he's going to end up on the wing. I, I don't think you can have a 200-centimetre wingman. It's as much as we'd love, to, love it to happen because it'd be such a unique and unreal proposition if it came good, I just don't think he's ever going to be able to do that. He's got a, he's amazing below his knees, but is he better below his knees than, say, it's around the midfield? So it's got to be like, like Zach Merritt, Darcy Parrish, Andrew McGrath, Dylan Shield. The answer is no. He's, he's clearly not. He's good for... He's exceptional for a bloke his size, but he's not better than the standard size midfielders. So I think at the moment, the, the, the football club's been sucked into thinking that he's going to be this hybrid superstar. And the reality is I don't see it. I just don't see how it's all going to come together and click for him instantly. So, so no, I, I do think, I actually think he's going to end up being our ultimate swing man. I think he could play back or forward, just depending on what we need. Um, but, yeah, no, I would say that the dream of him being on a wing is a little far-fetched for mine. But, yeah, as you did note, we are slightly running out of time. So we'll, we'll just very, very quickly touch on the Brisbane game, which is obviously coming up this weekend. It's the twilight game on Saturday. For me, it, it's pretty obvious where the game's going to be won. That's the mid field you know they've got Lockie Neal they've got Zach Bailey Jared Lyons you know take your pick you through that midfield it's a pretty stacked midfield and if our blokes turn up like they did on Saturday um, as you said it'll be 100 points plus because we'll just get absolutely destroyed but having said that I don't think our blokes will turn up like that again I, I, I don't think we'll beat Brisbane but I don't yeah I, I did say last night on the board that I that they're gonna destroy us I, I might have used more colorful language but you know hindsight Take a, take a deep breath. A couple of little bit of time removed from the game yesterday, and it's like, well, maybe they won't completely destroy us. I, I think we can be competitive. The other, other obvious problem we're going to have, and he's going to get booed a lot. And I've said it before. I don't like it when we boo our ex players because I don't really, I, you know, Joe Danaher at Essendon didn't work out. That's not just on him. That's also also on the club. The, the, the injuries, you can talk about whether or not he did his rehab and all that sort of stuff and whatnot. But the bloke came back and played two games in six days and then we didn't see him again for 12 months. So you clearly, clearly something went wrong with the football management side of things as well as, as his own lack of attention to his rehab. So, you know, he's going to be the other one that's going to give us massive headaches based on what we saw yesterday. But so I, I think if we can maybe break even with the midfield, we may be a sneaky chance. I, I don't. The reality is, though, I don't think we're going to break even with the midfield. I think they'll still get on top. I still think Joe will probably kick four or five and, and cop the abuse. And, and I think Brisbane will probably beat us by four to five goals. Yeah, it is Melbourne, so we do have that inherent advantage. But it's not the same as the MCG. Brisbane actually played pretty well. They had, considering how fast the deck is, and that sort of plays into their hands. I think, yeah, it's going to... The direction of the game will be one in the midfield where um, we just need to be more physical at stoppage. We need to be more disciplined in our sort of our structure, and particularly our stoppage structure. Um, and I think if that means that guys like Shield, Merritt and Parrish need to have sort of their midfield minutes together limited so you can get some more defensive midfielders in there with them at different times in order to be that sweeper and to hold the integrity up then I'm happy to look at it. I don't mind Stuart as a matchup for Danaher. I'm not saying Stuart's going to blanket Danaher but Stuart's very similar size, um, uh, very strong. The problem with Joe Danaher is if you give him you know, any sort of free run to the football 
he's going to outmark just about anyone you can put on him anyway. So it's really going to be on the rest of the defence being dis- again we're being disciplined, structure up, not give him those free runs of the football. Make sure you're you're blocking his path legally. You're not you know, you know make sure that Brisbane players aren't blocking Stewart from getting to him and blocking his run, like all that sort of stuff. But um, I just wanted to see a more intense effort, to be honest. And I think if we do that, then we'll probably get within five or six goals. I don't think we'll beat them, like you said. Um, I just don't know if we have enough goals in us in terms of personnel at this point. We would need you know, Stringer to come in and kick five or six. But, um, yeah, I'm just looking for a better effort. I, I, I didn't expect us to win last week, but it was just the mode and how it happened that, that really sucks, but yeah, look, hopefully Nick Martin can kick another five for us. That'd be great. Yeah, well, exactly right. And you're right, Joe Danaher is going to, he, he does have an incredible leaping ability, I guess. End of the day, all we need to do is just make sure that he gets all his shots from about 25 metres out directly in front and we'll be right. <laughs> it's, oh, it's, when put, man. it's when you put him 50 metres out on the boundary line that you have issues. Or, or, or 10 metres out with five seconds left in the clock. Do you remember the Bulldogs game a few years ago where he took this massive hangar in the goal square and then handed it off to Josh Green and Josh Green got tackled? Yeah. And then he did it again on the weekend where he took this spectacular mark. Instead of just going back, kicking the goal, he handballed it to Cockatoo and the siren went. Like, yeah. <laughs> we'll take yeah, the mean, shot, Joe. That that was pretty stiff though, because Cockatoo did kick the goal, so it was that wasn't a hor- it was just a you know he just had I suppose a lack of awareness that the clock's going to run out, but it's pretty hard for a player to know the clock's going to run. But you're right, he should have just gone back and kicked it. But but yeah, I think that will do us, Chris. So so for everyone that's listened, um, as always, please like, review, and subscribe, so we know that you're you're actually listening to us. But yeah, it, it's been it's been a good night, Chris. It's been a good chat, and hopefully next week we can have a bit more of a, a bit more of a positive slant on things. Yeah, it's always good to catch up. Thanks for having me.